I see that surprise on your face. Are you expecting Peter? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, hi. For those who don't know me, my name is Frances Forjoni, and I work uh, part-time here at the church with Community Care. And that was Andrew who gave our um, announcements, and he's with Community Life. And uh, Peter, Peter's sitting in the back, way back there. <laughs> you thought he wasn't here. Watch it over Steve. Yeah, so uh, if you're new, Peter's our head pastor, and... Um, so he, if, if for those who don't know, he had a heart attack in December, so he's taking some time off, but uh, he would love to mingle and hang out with you guys today, so he's in the back instead of here. So um, uh, last couple nights ago, Thursday night, I was uh, feeling a little stressed because I was working on this talk, okay? And I laid down in bed Thursday night and I was feeling kind of behind and, and uh, Bill came in the room and I said, honey, would you pray for me about Sunday? And he said, sure. So he laid down on the bed and, and uh, he laid down and put his head back and he said, dear God, help Francis be nice to me. <laughs> he said, help her to have a contrite heart. <laughs> Help her to know what a wonderful husband she has. <laughs> and now, Lord, help her to embrace the book of Song of Solomon. <laughs> and that's all I can tell you. <laughs> so, so if this message seems to go amiss, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> okay. You can thank Phil. <laughs> I love you, honey. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of you know that I grew up around the church and um, I grew up uh, with a Lutheran background. I know you all come from a variety of different backgrounds. And um, at least in the church I grew up in, I didn't get this whole personal relationship thing with God. I just kind of thought it was about having the right answers and believing the right things. And that was kind of your ticket into heaven at the end. And, and um, it wasn't until my 20s that I started to comprehend that, that there's this living God that wants a relationship with us. And, you know, all through scripture, there are, there are a number of different ways that, that God actually describes what this relationship might look like. Um, one is like clay with a potter. And maybe that's kind of how your relationship looks like. You don't really have a mind. You don't think about it. There's no really heart, you know, in this dirt. You don't, there's no heart connection. You're just kind of this lump just a dirt clod, just a, a, a pile there that's being molded and you don't even really know it. Um, you just kind of sit there like a blob. Another description is like a sheep with a shepherd. And with sheep, you know, maybe that's kind of reflective of your relationship with God. And maybe, maybe kind of like sheep, you know, you, you kind of hear some rumblings of a voice and they seem to be nice to you and they feed you and, and take care of you. And, you know, but really you're kind of a lot of work and you make a lot of messes and you wander off a lot and, and uh, you really like to just follow the crowd, really, maybe more than even the voice. And maybe that's a description of where you are. There's also a description of kind of a parent-child, like a, a father, where, where his sons, where his daughters. Wow, well now we at least have a name. And there's, there's the beginnings of a, a relationship that might be a little more reciprocal. Um, but maybe just like a little kid, you know, we come to him when we're 
when we're crying and we're upset and we come to him when we're angry and, um, you know, we share good times and we laugh and we like to play and, um, you know, and really when we don't get our way, we throw our temper tantrums and, you know, we, you know, God sends us to our room and we're there in silence until we wear ourselves out and come out and go, I really do want to be with you after all. And maybe that's what your relationship with God looks like. And then he also talks about us being friends. Friends, that kind of means we're now evolved into the, no longer like a parent-child, but we're now like two adults that can be friends and hang out and spend time together and there's reciprocity and there's a mutual investment with each other. And uh, we just enjoy each other's company and going through the ups and the downs of life together. So maybe that's what it looks like. And then he gives the description of marriage that our relationship with him can look like a marriage, an intimate relationship that's built on a commitment for life till death do us part. It's uh, two worlds, two separate worlds coming together to be one world where there's intimacy uh, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and one that produces fruit. So maybe that's what your relationship looks like. So of all, of all these pictures, really, um, Scripture talks about marriage being the highest relationship that we could have with God. And, you know, as you sit there and kind of evaluate, what does my relationship with Him look like? Um, I, I find, I kind of go through all of them. You know, sometimes I'm like the dirt clod, and sometimes I'm, I'm like sheep, and I wander off, and sometimes I experience some of that intimacy, but I find that I kind of, like, go all over the place. But... Uh, the fact that he gives all these pictures maybe is saying something along the lines of he's expecting us to evolve and to deepen and to grow in our relationship with him, uh, whatever starting place that might look like. Uh, so a lot of you know that I work here part-time and I also have a counseling practice downtown Denver and I do that as well at the same time. And, and um, you know, whether it's here or whether it's there, I find that probably the number one thing that people want to come and talk about has to do with usually relationships and the struggles and the problems and the, you know, the, the difficulties, whether it be relationships in the past or relationships in the present or how do I do relationships in the future, that that just seems to be one of the number one things. Um, as I started thinking about, you know, what I wanted to kind of talk about today and was uh, thinking and pray about it, I just started thinking what if some of the things that I talk about in counseling, like about marriage and about couples or helping individuals or singles to also grow in their relationship stuff, what if we started taking some of that and putting it in our relationship with God since he's saying marriage is the number one thing I'm trying to, trying to build with you? So uh, in the midst of that, um, I thought, you know, it's the new year. A lot of times the new year, we're reflecting on, you know, what are new things that I want to um, bring into my life and where am I headed? And usually it's about losing weight or quit smoking or, you know, exercising. Um, but maybe there's some things we can reflect on this morning that would be deeply meaningful. Um, one of my passions, you know, you know, Peter and Andrew, when they preach, they're great at taking scripture, starting there, and then bringing out all these great insights. My thing is a little more like, Let's start in real life stuff over here and then let's see where it goes into scripture. And so that's a little bit more of my approach and that's just kind of a little bit of who I am and what, what I'm passionate about. Uh, there's an author 
that I've recently kind of started, I don't know, reading and hearing and went to a workshop and, and things like that. And his name is uh, Dr. David Schnark. I know that's kind of a funny name, but that's, that's for real. You're laughing like I'm making this up. I'm not making it up. Okay. So, um, but he wrote this book called uh, Passionate Marriage. And I love the title of his first chapter of the book. It's titled, Nobody's Ready for Marriage. Marriage Makes You Ready for Marriage. I thought, what a great title. And one of the things that he talks about quite a bit in this book, he calls differentiation. Everybody, anybody heard of that? Differentiation, okay? So um, here, he's calling this differentiation a developing of a self in relationship with another, okay? So here's a, here's a quote from that book I wanna read to you. Uh, differentiation is a process by which we become more uniquely ourselves by maintaining ourselves in relationship with those we love. It's the process of grinding off our rough edges through the normal abrasions of a long-term intimate relationships. And differentiation is the key to not holding grudges, to recovering quickly from arguments, to tolerating intense intimacy and maintaining your priorities in the midst of daily life. Differentiation brings togetherness, generosity, and compassion, all the traits of a good marriage. So I'm gonna describe this a little more because that doesn't really like get it down into some of the details, but uh, differentiation in, involves balancing these two life forces, these two needs, these two drives at the same time. And the two needs are this. One is for individuality, autonomy, separateness, and the other is for togetherness, connection, intimacy, and um, being, being part, of the, part of the group. Okay, so we, we all have these two needs going on at the exact same time. And the individuality is kind of what propels us into finding our identity and being uniquely us and creative as who you are as an individual. And the togetherness helps us see how we all come together as something that we can do as a team that we can't do as an individual. So um, when both of these are being expressed in a healthy way, the, 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 it allows us to have relationships that don't deteriorate and um, kind of uh, fall apart. So let me give you a few more. I'm gonna give you a few more descriptions of what differentiation is. It's your ability to kind of hang on to your sense of self when you're emotionally or physically close to other people, especially the longer you're in the relationship and the closer you get to them. Differentiation permits you to maintain your own sense of direction when others pressure you to agree or conform to their way of thinking or feeling uh, what they might value. It allows you to make decisions from that internal motivation rather than just external influences. Well-differentiated people can agree without feeling like their own desires and needs and identity gets lost. But they can also um, um, disagree without feeling like there's a wall now between the two of you. There's a freedom to agree and there's a freedom to disagree. In the middle of a conflict, you can kind of hang on without blowing a fuse or just caving in. You can hear another perspective and be influenced you don't have to distance yourself and run away in order to hang on to yourself. You can stay in the relationship and still know who you are. 
Uh, you don't have to react when someone's blaming and attacking and accusing you. There's something solid that keeps you grounded. You don't have to get defensive and storm off and give someone the silent treatment. A differenti differentiated people have an internal sense of control rather than giving their power over to something else out here. It's the ability to maintain your sense of self when your partner is away or if you're just not in a primary love relationship. It allows you to value that contact, but you don't fall apart when it's not there. The differentiated uh, have the ability to speak the truth in love, even when the other person isn't doing that. The differentiated self is solid, yet permeable. You have a solid core of your, who you are, where you come from, your values, your beliefs, and yet it's okay for you to be influenced by other people, and you can change your ideas and your mind without losing yourself. So, it also allows you to be connected to your emotions. It's not the disconnection of emotions. It's actually where you can have them and other people can have theirs, but you don't get just swept away by their emotion. So Dr. Schnark says that this differentiation piece is core to a lot of the marriage problems, a lot of the relationship problems, a lot of the stuff that he has seen. And I started reading a lot of this, and I love digesting stuff like that and seeing connections between this and spiritual, spiritual themes as well. So I have a question for you. Where do you see a picture in Scripture of where there's individuals that are in relationship together as one but are still separate individuals? Last Supper? Where else? Apostles, yes. Where else? The Trinity. Bingo, the Trinity. But which those others are also true, in a sense. Uh, but the Trinity. So here's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are three and yet one. Differentiated. When I grew up in the Lutheran Church, um, we used to say this creed, and I don't know, I haven't heard it said in a church in a really long time. It's the Athanasian Creed that was written in about 500 AD, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it. You ever heard of it? So we're gonna, I'd like to say some of this together, read this together. This is a portion of it, and by reading it doesn't mean like, you know, you're professing, you know, like, you know, you know if you don't agree, that's all right. You know, we're just reading it together. So I'm gonna read this together. So read with me. We worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, the Holy Spirit Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in the Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. 
but all three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. So that in all things, as is they've foresaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshiped. Doesn't that sound similar to what Dr. Snark is talking about with differentiation? People who can be in relationship with one another and yet still maintain their individuality at the same time. And when we see it, when those individuals come together and we see that, that oneness that comes together, it leads us, it leads us to worship. It's like, an, it's like an automatic response. Uh, a picture of this for me is like when you see um, ice dancers together. They're two individuals, but when they come together, like there's something beautiful that just starts to happen that just makes you go, wow. <laughs> Every time you have a response that is just this natural wow response, that's worship. Uh, there could be a whole, a whole group of dancers. It's one thing to see one dancer, but you put like, like 10 tap dancers together or hip hop dancers together and they're all in unison. There's something that just, wow, that is so cool. So I think God is probably the most differentiated, not probably, he's the most differentiated person in the world because it's at the center, at the nature, at the core of who he is, this ability to be separate and together at the very same time. These three persons in one God, that God wants to marry you as a match made in heaven <laughs> so that you can become like him and bring that into relationships that you're in as well. In Isaiah 62, 4, it says this, it will no longer be said to you forsaken, not to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and in him your land will be married. 54.5 says, For your husband is your maker, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. He wants to redeem you from your own lack of a self. He wants to redeem your sense of self that that false self that maybe is so rigid and so independent, so far on this side that you find it hard to be intimate, hard to be together. He wants to redeem those of you who are so far on the connecting side that you people please and you, you hate being alone and he wants to redeem that. God is our redeemer and he is the solid permeable life within you. He's the authentic self that lets you find your authentic self. He's the flexible self that lets you be flexible. He's the strength that lets you find strength. He wants to be intimately married to your soul and maybe your higher power becomes your deepest power, hidden deep inside of you to be discovered. So sometimes we might embrace this and sometimes we don't. Maybe you wanna be married to God, maybe you don't. Maybe you fear being engulfed. Maybe you fear losing your identity. Or maybe we fear being alone, so we run around looking to be married to something or someone else, a person, but it could also be alcohol or work or sex or people pleasing or whatever. We're, we're, we're wired, we're deeply wired to be married and we will be married to something. So whatever you're married to is your God. It's where our addictions come from. 
So the one who is most able to bring, in, bring us in touch with who we are so that we can truly be with another is God, the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that we can have his, his solidness, his flexibility. He has that perfect balance, that perfect being. In him, we move and live and have our being. So these, these two um, needs, this independence and this togetherness that are going on at the same time can lead us to just swing from one to the other. Oh, I want to be in a relationship. And oh, I finally have that relationship. And oh, now you're bugging me. Get away from me. And oh, I miss you. And I'm so sorry. And oh, now I'm, I don't think we're going to make it. I think we need a divorce. And now I've found somebody better. And they meet all my needs. And oh, now they have flaws too. And oh, I need to be away because I don't want them to see my flaws. And oh, now someone loves me even though they do see my flaws. And thank God. And oh, now they have flaws. So you get the picture, right? <laughs> okay. So we can go from one to the other. And sometimes we tend to play out one more or the other. Sometimes we tend to be more pursuers. We're the ones always pursuing connection. Sometimes we tend to be distancers where we're always doing the backing up and trying to like get our space. So when we're stuck in one of those, it probably says there's something not solid inside. So the opposite of differentiation is emotional fusion or emotional enmeshment might be called. It's connection without individuality. Unable to turn away, we turn ourselves over to the connection, but it kind of feels like losing your identity and kind of just giving in and you're being engulfed and smothered and suffocated. And you don't want to just confuse differentiation with individuality or autonomy or independence. It's not being emotionally detached, unable to connect, but it's the ability to be in relationship and be as a team. That differentiation is a higher order. It's that process of being in that balance between the two, being able to hold the two together at the very same time. And that's the very core of who God is and what he's about. When we become differentiated, our fears of being smothered or engulfed or our fears of being alone have an anchor. And God is that anchor because he's anchored. So in conflicts, which are normal. If you're in a relationship and you have conflicts, you're breathing, you're normal, <laughs> okay? Every conflict you have, every gridlock, every stalemate you get into is an opportunity. And that opportunity is to first remember who you're married to, which is God, and draw your sense of self from who he is in the midst of that conflict. Every time you, you um, hit these points, there's an opportunity to dig a little deeper and to find out who you really are. Sometimes those conflicts to begin with are because I'm hanging on so hard to something that I define myself by. Honey, you should work less. Well, work is where I find my identity. Don't ask me to work less. I love the praises I get at work. Sometimes those conflicts are coming from something that I have too deeply attached to to begin with. And that's why we're having conflict. Sometimes people think when they're having a lot of conflict in a relationship, we're just, where you think, oh, we're just not connecting. I need to get a divorce. We need to break up. We're just not connecting. But the problem probably is that you're too connected 
too connected because you're giving the other person your, a place of having the power to determine your value, your worth, who you are, rather than drawing on it from your vertical marriage. If you've ever had the thought to yourself, my marriage isn't working because I married the wrong person. In one sense, you probably did because your first marriage is to God. Yeah, you're probably with the right person, but <laughs> your first marriage is to God. Or maybe you thought, I'm not married because I just haven't found the right one yet. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're looking horizontally and you need to look vert vertically. C.S. Lewis put it this way, uh, put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both the first and the second things. And Larry Crabb said it this way, the central battle is to put the first things first. The central evil is to put the second things first. And then he said the central deception is to think we're putting the first things first when we really aren't. <laughs> or maybe it's said this way, Matthew 6, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So here lies one of the core problems in our marriages, our relationships of any kind. And we find that the answer to the problem isn't really a set of steps, it's not um, you know, a formula, but it's a person. That as you are in relationship with a person who defines that solid place, you start to become what he is. And he takes on all the junk that you've been. All this swinging stuff, we can call it all kinds of stuff, but the Bible might call it sin, okay? Uh, you know, the stuff that we, that, we, that we put in all kinds of different categories, it's us trying to create ourselves, trying to make ourselves. So he wants to be in a marriage with you in a way that makes you who you truly are so that you can show up more authentically with those around you. So we're here today on right after New Year's Day, and I'm encouraging you to get to know God, wherever you may start. Maybe, maybe it's starting with putty. <laughs> maybe it's like sheep. Maybe you think of him as your creator, your maker. Maybe you think of him as your shepherd, your father, your best friend, your marriage partner for life. Hopefully you can see how desperately we need him living inside of us. So, sharing about, um, so I've been sharing about this differentiation and I want to make a little bit of a shift. because so I've been talking a little bit about the, the why of a relationship with him and now I want to talk a little bit about the what or how that would look. And this is meant to be kind of descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, but descriptive of just giving you some ideas because your, your relationship with him is unique to, between you and him, okay? So there's, a couple, there's many things I really could talk about. I thought, oh my gosh, I started looking at what I could do and I could have like, you know, 50 talks on this, but, <laughs> but I get one. So, so I just thought, I'm just gonna pick a couple things that were just meaningful to me that I thought, if I were to take some of this in marriage and couples counseling and put it into my relationship with God, what would that look like? Uh, there's another author called Dr. John Gottman, 
And uh, he's, um, he did all this research with couples and he you know, measured things and he videotaped people and you know, all this stuff and he came up with all these kind of critical things of what, what it looks like in a relationship with those that are um, doing well in a marriage. And um, one of the things he talks about is called turning towards versus turning away. And it has to do with attunement. It has to do with responsiveness. It's paying attention to your partner's subtle cues. Like the big ones to me are obvious. You know, if somebody dies, you want to be there for them, turn towards them and be there for them. Um, you know, sometimes we're so checked out in that individuality, we don't even do that with the biggies. But some of the things he's talking about are the really small things, the really subtle things. Um, he calls these things sliding door moments. If you ever saw that movie, Sliding Doors, it was an older movie. Some of you saw it. It basically had this, this theme of how, how one moment could change the course of a whole relationship and the course of events. And he talks about how these sliding door moments, these little moments that you think are insignificant in, you, in your relationships that actually can turn you towards or turn, you can turn away. And so here's some examples of some of these. Um, these are like little bids for attention where are you just, are we attentive? So I'm gonna give you some examples of how I've blown it, okay? Bill knows these quite well. <laughs> uh, so uh, we may be in the living room, okay? And we're, you know, the TV's on and I'm working on my computer and I, I can have one of those tendencies towards working too much, you know, one of those things. So um, Bill makes some comment about something interesting on TV. You know, it's not very deep, it's just something interesting. And I'm just on my computer, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's turning away, okay? Or maybe he comes home from work and he says, you know, God, it's been a hard day. Oh, bummer. What's for dinner? You know, that's turning away, okay? Or maybe it's we're driving along and we say, wow, he says, wow, look at that sunset. And I'm over here fiddling, texting, uh-huh. That's turning away. Or maybe it's him saying, I think I'll go to bed early tonight. Hint, hint. And I'm like, I got more work to do. <laughs> okay? So it's the little subtleties. It's the subtle things of, do you notice, do you notice these little bids for attention? And do you turn towards? In other words, do you, turn, do you literally turn towards and say, tell me more? Or, wow, yeah. Or do you ask more questions? Or do you take the opportunity to get to know why whatever that thing they found was interesting, maybe there's a deeper place inside that you really could get to know them through this tiny little moment. And I thought, do we do this with God? These little subtle things, of, do we turn towards or do we turn away? Do we even notice them? Maybe there's something in the message right here today. Maybe it's in the worship. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a conversation that something, something caught your attention. It, it spoke of something in here. But you walk away and you forget it and you go watch a Barnabas game and, you know, have fun. There it goes. Or do you turn towards it? Do you lean into it? Do you go get some quiet time with God to reflect more on whatever that was that's kind of grabbing your heart? Maybe you prayed a prayer about something and maybe God even answered it. And you didn't, you didn't even give it a second thought. Once the need was met, done. You know, kind of like the 10 lepers and only one came back to thank him. Do you turn towards? 
and thank God and acknowledge where that came from. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe God's calling you for some quiet time with him to just get up, go read, read your Bible or just reflect or meditate or do something. But nope, you get up, turn on the TV, you know, crack open a beer, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe you're facing a difficult circumstance. And maybe you're like talking to somebody and you find tears welling up in your eyes and you quickly shut them off and you turn away because you don't want anybody to notice. Maybe you're turning away from God in that moment, not just that person. Maybe you're angry at God. I had a friend tell me a couple of years ago when I asked her when she was going through a hard time, you know, where's God in this? And she says, God and I broke up. We're not talking to each other. <laughs> and so I, I, I loved the, the picture of it. And I just thought, yeah, I probably I've done that. I just haven't said it, you know, quite like that. But even if you're angry, can you turn towards God with that anger rather than away? So maybe, you know, what does turning towards God look like? You know, maybe it's writing a poem or journaling or, or having quiet times, or maybe it's listening to the spirit inside of you when he's moving, when he's speaking. How do you even know that voice? How do you learn to hear that voice and know that it's him? Um, this next uh, piece is kind of a little bit of the, some practical kind of like, uh, well, how could we turn towards God uniquely for you? So a lot of you have heard of the book called The Five Love Languages. Y'all heard of some of that? Gary Chapman, it's a pretty popular book. Uh, and I started, these five love languages are ways that he identified of ways that couples can uh, turn towards each other and to get to know each other and love each other in unique ways. And we all have ones that are more special than others and things like that. And uh, I started thinking, what if we did these with God? Wouldn't that be cool? That these five love languages in this, uh, this intimate relationship with him that we wanna build, what if we did those with God? So we're gonna do that. There's a yellow card in the back of a chair close to you, okay? And uh, there's some pencils or pens in there and um, you can pull those out. And I want this to be an experience between you and God. So if you're here as a couple, I want you to do this individually. And there should be cards around. Bill's got some extra ones. And if, you're, if there's not one close to you, make sure you get your own. If you're a married couple, don't do this as a couple, okay? Do this on your own. So as I go through this, I want you to think about your own relationship with God and things that would just be meaningful to you. And I'm gonna share some things that might be ideas and you might like one and you might hate the next, okay? That's fine because, and this is mostly to get your own juices flowing about what you want your relationship with God and what, what are some things you would like to do together. Um, so we're, here's the five love languages on this card that he identified, and I'm just gonna kind of walk through each one. The first one is acts of service. You know, Matthew 25 says, says, to the extent that you do these to these, my brothers of mine, the least of these, you do them to me. So sometimes acts of service can, you know, even though they're for God, they can be done to other people. But here's the thing that I think can kind of make it just between you and God. What if you just did anonymously? The other person doesn't know who or where it came from or whatever, but here's some ideas. Um, there's, a, there's actually a whole website on the, called the Random Acts of Kindness. Okay, you can go on this website, randomactsofkindness.org. There's all kinds of ideas, but here's some. Uh, you pay for somebody's parking meter when it's about to run out. You're at a drive-through. 
Burger King, Starbucks, you pay for your meal and you, go, you tell the person, can I pay for the person's meal behind me as well? And you drive off, they don't even know who you are. Lone Ranger, you just leave. <laughs> um, maybe you're at a restaurant, pick a table and pay for their meal. Maybe you're in the line at the movies. You buy some extra tickets, you turn around and hand them to the person behind you, or you know, just tell the person at the door, you know, hey, pay for theirs too. Maybe it's putting an encouraging note on somebody's windshield, you don't put your name. Maybe it's ordering some flowers for somebody and you don't sign it. You just say, I just wanted you to know you're special. And you, you order flowers and these flowers show up at their house. So in other words, this may be, in other words, a way for you to express your love for God and somebody, the anonymous part kind of keeps it between you and him, right? And then I'll add one more thing in it. What if you did it for your enemies? Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. What if you did it for someone you don't like at work? No, they don't know where it's coming from. I've had some of these anonymous gifts and here's what it tends to do. It tends to make you go, oh gosh, what if it was that person? I should be nice to them. Oh gosh, what if it was that person? I should be nice to them. Oh gosh, <laughs> but do you see what it spreads? <laughs> um, so that's just some ideas. And I've, you know, if some of these ring, ring for you, write them down. If there's other ones that stir up for you, there's, there's some that we talk about here at church all the time, you know, going to help some missions thing, or, you know, those are some maybe obvious ones that you can do. But what would acts of service be meaningful? What do you want to give to him in this way? How do you want to express that? Uh, quality time. So the next one's quality time. And, you know, there's, to me, again, some of the obvious ones, like picking up the Bible and reading some scripture or journaling or praying or, you know, that, those quiet times you might have. Um, when I was single, there were times when I would take a personal retreat. And that retreat was primarily for me with time with God. One of my favorite ones was when I took a trip to Woodstock, Vermont, and stayed in a little bed and breakfast, and I brought my Bible, my journal, my books, and I loved it. <laughs> loved every minute of it. As a matter of fact, when we went on our honeymoon, when I got married, we went to Woodstock, Vermont. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, you know, we went there and had our own great time. Uh, maybe, maybe it's quality time is going to have a meal with somebody, but there's some real spiritual conversations that go on with it. Maybe it's being involved in something here. You know, quality time could be going to Kathleen's spirituality or uh, going to Andrew's class or, um, you know, doing something here, part of the church where you're, you're both together and individually you're still growing with Christ. There's some things that I've learned about God in my personal time with him that through 20 some year, 30 some years of knowing him now personally, that I've gotten to know that were totally like different from how I thought he was. Um, you know, some that I maybe initially didn't like, but I've come to really love these things about him. I've learned that God likes the 11th hour. He likes comebacks. I used to think, you know, if I do this, he'll do this. But now I've found if I do this, and do this and this and this, and then I get tired, and then I get angry, and then I give up. Then he does that. I've learned that he likes paradoxes. He likes surprises. He likes paradoxes like, like to, to be more mature, mature you, learn, you know how to be childlike. To have control, you lose control. To find yourself, you lose yourself. He likes those. 
That's probably why I like Peter's sermons and books like Richard Rohr and Dan Allender and the Downside Up film series that Ben is doing that kind of takes stuff and just flips it upside down. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, yes, that's true. But it's not what I originally thought. So the next one um, is physical affection. Physical affection. How do you do that with an invisible God? I thought, that's a tough one, right? <laughs> you know, I grew up Lutheran. We worship with our hands on our, under our <laughs> legs. And I remember one time a friend leaned over to me in the middle of a church service. And uh, you know what PDA is, public display of affection. He, learned, he leaned over to me and said, what's the matter? Don't you like PDA with God? Meaning a public display of affection with God. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> How to, and so um, I, have a, I have a little exercise for this one, okay? So I want everyone to stand up. All right. Why don't you pretend for a minute that we're at, a, we're at the Broncos in the Super Bowl game, okay? And it's in the last 15 seconds, okay? And, and it's the very last play of the game and the ball was just kicked off to us. And, it, and Eric, who? We, yes, I know that. <laughs> I do know. And, and Peyton Man's the quarterback. It's the very last play of the game. And he takes the ball and he passes it. And Eric Decker catches it at the 50-yard line. And he takes off running, okay? And I'm going to go, I'm going to count down. When we get to the goal line, I want you to act like you would if you were watching the game. We're at this individually, but together. So see you, it's differentiation, okay? So if you're, you do what you would normally do, and some of you might high five, some of you might yell, some of you, whatever you would normally do, okay? Is it the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, the 10, the 10. Touchdown in the Super Bowl or a resurrection from the dead. Okay, so I'm going to count down and I want you to respond the way you would if you just saw someone rise from the dead. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Woo! <laughs> okay, so you get the idea, right? Okay, so. Affection with God, you know, like here's some things that for me um, are affection that I feel like is from him. And, and it may sound, but you can sit down if you want, by the way. <laughs> the sun to me feels like a warm hug. It feels like a warm hug from God when I can be out in the sun and just feel it on my face. Um, a hot shower feels like a massage, feels like it's just water washing away all the dirt of my life. And it feels like it can feel like it's from God. Uh, rocking chair. I love rocking chairs. When I, when I was early in my relationship with him, there's something about being rocked that feels nurtured. And I love rocking chairs. So I'd go, what are, what are ways of kind of physical affection that maybe you could share with God? Fourth one is words of affirmation. We do it all the time when we sing songs here. At least, I hope, sometimes our mind is in a million places, but do we really sing those, those songs in a way of, this is really what I think about you. And I really want to sing this to you. Um, maybe you go for a walk and you just talk to God. You talk to him out loud and you tell him what you like. Maybe you listen. Maybe there's words he wants to say to you to affirm who you are and, and express his love to you. Um, sometimes couples have special names between each other. 
And I, I thought, you know, couples do this all the time, a special name. Sometimes I'll call Bill Puppy. He's my puppy. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but maybe there's a special name you can come up with, you and God. It's like you and God, you know this name and it's a special name and I don't have one for me yet. So I'm rocking this with you. I'm, I thought when I got the idea, I'm just gonna like keep doing this, okay? So the last one's gifts. And the meaningful gifts are things that say, I know who you are, I know you, and I know this gift would be meaningful to you, and so I wanna give this to you. Um, there are things I feel like God has given to me that are just special to me. Pink clouds is one of them. A mossy rock is one of them. Uh, rainbows, clouds in general. And there's a story behind every one of those that I won't go into today, but they're just special to me. I go, what's special to you? Are there certain things in nature that you just go, it's just a gift to me that I know is from him when I see it, a reminder of who he is? And then I thought, well, what would we give to him? I mean, we always talk about the offering and money and all that, but what, what would we give? What do you give to someone who has everything? I mean, literally. I mean, what do you give to the guy who has everything? And I thought, well, uh, God, what do you want? And so this verse is what popped in my head. It was Psalm 51. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, that you will not despise. So in the Old Testament, when they brought sheep and goats and lambs and it was a sacrifice, and yes, that was a picture of Christ to come. Uh, but he said, the real gift is I want a contrite heart. I want you to see your need for me rather than you doing it on your own. So, when I was doing this talk, there was something that hit me pretty hard. <laughs> and it was Bill's prayer, the very beginning. And the thing that hit me was that this, is, this was God's prayer for me. Because I can get too busy and I can get distracted and not have my time with him. So remember the prayer? This is God's prayer for us. Dear God, help Francis be nice to me. He's saying this now, praying to himself, I guess. <laughs> help Francis be nice to me. Give her a contrite heart. Help her to know what a wonderful husband she has. And now about the Book of Song of Solomon. It fits. <laughs> I knew you were right on the money. You didn't even know it. <laughs> there was something deeper coming through in that moment. So um, at the cross, I feel like we have the best picture of differentiation, of separate yet together. At the cross, Christ was separated from the Father so that we could be together with him. So the night that he was betrayed, uh, the night that you turned away, he turned towards. And he broke, his, broke the bread saying, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup. He took the cup and he poured it saying, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. So I think in another way, he's saying, 
Will you marry me? I know you. I know your flaws. I know your fears. But will you marry me? I know who you really are. I know your true identity. And I want to do this together the rest of our life. So when you come to the table, you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And the brown is uh, wine and the white is juice. And come and have a relationship with him. Yeah! It's <laughs> great. You know, um, one of my favorite verses is the verse that says, um, it is no longer I who live, but I have been, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in, with, in me. And every time we kind of hit this gridlock with life and relationships are falling apart and things aren't working for us, it's like we're getting crucified. And he's inviting us into that intimate relationship so that his life can rise up within us into that really solid but flexible place. If you're married, if you, really, if you are in a relationship, maybe turning towards God would help you learn how to turn towards your partner. And even if you're single, we can learn some of those same things. Uh, a lot of you know I was in my 40s before I got married, so I had a lot of single years <laughs> to have that time with God. And as much as I do love Bill and being married, there's times I miss some of that, that time with God that I got and some of those special moments and some of that, that season of an intimacy that you can build during that time. So we worship a God of grace, Yet sometimes we demand from other people that they never need it. But we want to become like the God that he is and be able to extend the same grace. Um, we want to learn how to love unconditionally. And yet sometimes we expect the people around us to meet all the conditions. Right? So we so desperately need him. So with this new year, maybe this will be the year you get married. Maybe this will be the year that your, maybe this will be the year that your marriage takes on a whole new life. Maybe it'll be, this will be the year that your divorce draws you to your first love. Maybe this will be the year as a single that there's a joy that comes into your singleness like never before. But I do know this, there's a match made in heaven just for you. And he's inviting you into that. So, Happy New Year. <laughs> Amen.